Um, yeah, actually it wasn't five, it was six children at the 9am, just um, to, to be sure. Uh, and so yeah, child dedications is a special family moment for us as a church Fano. and so I wanted you to know who was involved at the 9am, so you guys can come up and join me. But uh, just so you know, this is... this. Um, They'll, they'll, they'll show up on the screen here, and I'm going to need you to put them up for me, Rachel, so I don't forget anyone. Uh, so this is Tobias and Felicity uh, that we dedicated, both Tobias and Felicity. They are brother and sister at the 9 a.m. service, and this is a family photo with their mum, Sasha, uh, just so you get to put faces with names and know who all goes together. Uh, then we also had Holly, uh, May, Rebecca Lawson, and their parents, Sammy and Sam, were just here on stage a moment ago. There you go, Sammy and Sam with their first born Holly May was dedicated at 9 a.m. service. This is Riley, uh, baby Riley and her, his older sister Kaylin, uh, who were dedicated at the 9 a.m. service and their family with uh, Vincent and Brianna and Kaylin and Riley and older sister Ellie uh, were, all, were all present at the 9 a.m. And then finally, we had Lincoln Adam Geary was dedicated this morning uh, with his family, Adam and Lisa and, his two, uh, and Lincoln's two older brothers were all here with us at 9 a.m. And, this, and so here we are at the 11 a.m. And we get to celebrate with the Shaw Fano, uh, who are here this morning. So welcome. Yep. This is Jordi and Emma and Torrin and Alva. Yeah, just lost him to his favorite cousin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi, everyone. Thanks, thanks uh, Pastor Clint. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm Jordi, the, uh, the fourth of the Shaw siblings. Well, second eldest, but uh, yeah, the last ones to join. Fashionably late. <laughs> yeah, uh, and this is, is this is my wife Emma. Uh, so yeah, we've. Oh, this is our oh, later this month, our tenth wedding anniversary. Actually, congratulations! Yeah, awesome. Uh, so yeah, I, I grew up in Christchurch. Emma grew up in Tauranga, and then we met kind of in the middle in in Wellington, where we were for twelve years, and then uh, moved back down to Christchurch to be with family. And uh, yeah, Alva was one. When we moved down, and um, yeah, then wanted to give him a little sister or brother, and uh, yeah, had a bit of a, tr- a tough time as you as you can. So lost uh, lost a, a couple of uh, yeah, had a couple of miscarriages, and it was a pretty tough time, tough season. Uh, my my dad was pretty sick um, with cancer, and uh, so we yeah, sort of circle of life, lost, lost my dad and then um, gained Torin uh, in the space of a month, so they overlapped, which was quite, quite nice to have a month together on earth at least. Um, and yeah, so he was a bit of um, joy in our, in our lives in a, in a difficult time, and he's got a big smile, he likes peop- people, <coughs> a little bit different to his brother. <coughs> <laughs> At the moment, at the moment, yeah, um, yeah. Alva wants to be a dirt bike ride, dirt bike rider one day, don't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, today's today's about Torin. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, bit of an odd, bit of an odd name. There's no no particular significance behind his his first name. Just sounded cool, I thought. And after you call your first kid Alva, you kind of have to can't can't go back to. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so <laughs> um, just ca- carried on, so sorry, sorry for your weird name, mate, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> a 
if you haven't met me, that's just my, my humour. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, his middle name does have, have some significance. That's, that's my, my dad's name or his granddad. And um, yeah, Brian was a, a really strong Christian in, in, the, in every sense of the word. And um, yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty special to have his name carried on. Dad was always joking with us about which, which kid was going to name their, their firstborn child, Brian, but, but a middle name. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he's how old now? Six months, six months, nearly seven. Waking us up at about five in the morning, usually, if not a bit earlier. Um, and yeah, I suppose we were keen to get him dedicated today, uh, just as a expression of um, our intention to raise him as a as a Christian and. Uh, yeah, share that with our, our church community and um, just invite everyone to, into his life and, you know, you can hit him up if he's straying from the straight and narrow. <laughs> <laughs> Help us with that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the, the uh, scripture that we, we have uh, to share is from yeah. Ephesians, which was also one of, one of Dad's or Brian's um, yeah, favourite scriptures. So Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, special moment in the life of a church where parents come and dedicate their child to God, and as Geordie's just mentioned, it's, a, it's an act of commitment on their part to not only raise Torrin and Alva to know Jesus, uh, know Jesus' love for them, but also to be nurtured in a faith family. So uh, I'm going to offer a word of prayer, and then I'll kind of pose some questions to Geordie and Emma to respond to, and then there'll be a charge that I'll issue to us, the wider Church Fano and community of faith in which uh, Torrin will grow up, and and I invite you to respond. It's kind of, you know, I'll call and you respond, and you know, follow along on the screen with that in just a few moments. But why don't we pray together as we begin? Lord, we do thank you for your presence here among us and for the incredible gift of children that you entrust to us. God, in particular, we thank you for the life of Torrin, and we just. Give thanks and rejoice with Geordie and Emma and the wider Shaw Fano this morning. Eternal God, like a mother who comforts her children, you sustain, nurture, and strengthen us. Loving God, like a father who cares for his children, you look upon us with compassion and goodness. We give thanks for the life you have given Torrin and for the joy which has come to Geordie and Emma and their, their wider Fano. Confirm with them their joy by a lively awareness of the Holy Spirit. And give them calm strength and patient wisdom as they seek to encourage Torrin to love and serve our Lord Jesus Christ. We all pray together. Amen. Amen. So, Geordie and Emma, do you confess your sins before God and turn from all evil influences? There you go, you can see it up there. And do you believe in God, the Creator, Maker of all things? We believe and trust in God, and so we will to come. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, Redeemer of the world? We believe in 
And do you believe in the Holy Spirit, giver of life and blessing? His or, yeah, his life. That's interesting. <laughs> I challenge you, the people of this congregation, to maintain the life of worship and service that Torin and all the children among you may grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge and love of God. With God's help, we will live our life as a loving community in Christ, nurturing one another in faith, upholding one another in prayer and encouraging one another in service. We pray for and bless Torin and the Shaw Fano today. And Torin, Brian Shaw, it is my privilege to anoint you <laughs> in the ancient tradition of the church and to dedicate you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grow in Christian faith, for Christ died for you, buddy. And we look forward one day to your baptism. Bless you, Torin. And friends, I invite you all to join me in uh, offering a blessing over Tyrant and the Shorfano from Numbers chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. And why don't we do this together if you're comfortable extending a hand as a sign of blessing to them today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We'd love to give you a wee gift. Here's Joe and Chiara from, uh, Joe leads our children's ministries here at the well, and just a wee gift that we'd love to give to you this morning. Thanks for your help, Chiara. Awesome. Thank you so much. Beautiful. There we go. Let's celebrate together, shall we? Amen. Thank you. So exciting. I love it. Um, We're going to continue with a bit of liturgy and praying our generosity liturgy together. And this is a way to really just anchor giving and generosity in our worship and acknowledging that many of us give online. Um, But if you have come prepared to give physically, no obligation, but there's a wee box on the wall at the back. But won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, everything and all of creation belongs to you. There is nothing that we have that you have not given to us. We praise you and thank you for your generosity and grace. As followers of Jesus, you have called us to reflect your selfless nature. Help us to increase in compassion for those around us, seeing their needs and responding with your love, kindness, and provision. Help us to be good stewards of the gifts you have blessed us with. Today, we offer ourselves and our resources to be used for your glory and in the service of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Such good words. A couple of quick fire panui as we move through on the screens. Um, you'll see we've got a kids outreach event, a men's breakfast and a connection point coming up. So click on the website to register and find out more about that next weekend. But we also have Alpha coming up. Is Jenny... Hey! Jenny's going to share a ripper of a testimony. It's going to be good. (laughs) Hey guys, I'm Jenny. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Alpha. I um, was not raised as a Christian. 
Um, I was kind of anti the whole religion thing, studying history through university. I thought religion was kind of corrupt, to be honest. Um, and I just was like, yeah, no, it's not for me. Um, but then oh, a while ago, my husband, Andrew, who everybody loves, um, <laughs> including me, yeah. Um, he came to an alpha course at the well and he was like, yep, this is it, this is for me. And he started attending church and he kept trying to ask me to come. And I am quite stubborn. I kept digging my heels in every single time he asked me on a Sunday morning, do you want to come to church? No, stop asking me. Uh, every time there was an alpha course, no, stop asking me. Uh, he probably asked for about a year. And then finally he said, hey, Jenny, look, I just kind of like don't come with the hope of, you know, Obviously, it would be great, but not just to become a Christian, but just to learn about something that was really, really important in his life. He was like, this is a part of who I am. I want you to know this part of me. Please come and learn. And so I came. I was confrontational. I was argumentative. I was challenging in every way that I possibly could be. And then, um, yeah, the Alpha course was so great that uh, one day I was in in church, and Clint said, I don't know, if you want to welcome Jesus into your heart, raise your hand, and so I kind of did, and um, (laughs) the rest is history, really. Um, So yeah, I just encourage you guys to please keep asking people um, any which way you can, just to learn, just to break down all the misconceptions that people have of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about what's in the media, it's not about what's happened through history, it's about what Jesus teaches us. So yeah, invite me with Alpha. Woo! <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, what a great testimony. Huge Mahi. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, powerful. Jesus is our living hope, so what, let's share that. Come on, invite people. It's going to be so good. So Tuesday night, starting on the 4th of October. It'll be a sweet time. Um, kids, we're going to send you out. Um, so we you join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the life of children in our church. Um, we pray blessing over their time this morning. Would they encounter you in a fresh way? And would they um, have a glimpse of your kingdom as it comes closer? In your holy name, amen. All right, you can take your parents out and everyone else. As it is to wiki o tereo Māori, as we pass the peace, as is our tradition, you can choose in English. You'd say, peace be with you and also with you. Or i tereo Māori, you could say, kia mana ho. And in the response, me koe hoki. Kia mana ho, me koe hoki. Have fun.
All right. Kia ora koutou katoa. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Great to be together in worship, isn't it? Yes, thank you. One person feels good about this. This is, we're off to a good start. Um, Hey, yeah, welcome, welcome. Glad to be here. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Clint, and I have the pleasure of serving as the lead pastor here at The Well. And it's my joy to be kicking off a new teaching series for us today. Over the next four weeks, we'll be journeying with the life of Joseph from the end of Genesis. In the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 37 through 50, life of Joseph. And we're calling this series Unexpected unexpected, waiting on God when our plans fall apart, unexpected, because who knows that life is filled with the unexpected. Anyone? Right? Life is filled with the unexpected. I just got back yesterday from a week in Portland, Oregon, where I got to travel with a group of other pastors from around the country, and we went to a conference, and it was phenomenal, amazing week. But Portland is one of those places where you count, encounter the unexpected all the time. You know, whenever you're walking down the street, it's one of like, you know, like it's a bit, it's a bit of a wild place at times. And, uh, and the last night that we were in Portland before we left, uh, we actually went along to a, to a concert. See, we'd been in town for a week, and, and one of the first days that we were there, um, my good friend Sam Martin recognized a name on a billboard saying, hey, David Ramirez is playing at Mississippi Studios, which just happened to be two blocks from the Airbnb where we were staying. And so David Ramirez, he's a folk kind of singer. I'm not huge into the folk, but didn't want Sam to go on his own, so we all went along and had a good time. I love going to live music, and you can imagine, you know, Portland, um, we're in a small venue, the music's loud, you know, f- lots of people there, um, and, and, and all this kind of thing, right? And, and, and as I looked around, I, I like observing people when you're at a show. Anyone else do this? Is it just me? But, but like down in the front corner, you know, like if you imagine down here, there's a guy um, who is just like classic Portland, right? You can picture this, right? He's got the long curly hair just past his shoulders, You know, he's got a bright yellow t-shirt on, Um, he's wearing brown cargo shorts and socks with sandals. You know, like classic Portland look. If anyone knows anything about Portland, like he just looks the part and he is going hard out. He's clearly a big fan of David Ramirez, maybe even bigger than Sam. And uh, he was going hard out, like dancing all over the place, you know, like just into it, fully into it. No one could get anywhere close to him because he'd just mapped out his space in the front corner there and was owning all of that space. You know what I mean? You've seen this, right, at a show? You've seen this. And, and so I kind of like was watching this playing out and going, I'm in Portland. That's not that unexpected, right? It's kind of what you'd expect. He's playing the part. He fits the, he fits the scene. Then I looked, kind of scanned back, and, and, and in the back corner of the room was, was like the unexpected moment for me, where there was a guy, clearly looked like he'd just come straight from work, collared shirt, buttoned down, mid-50s, silver hair, you know, going just as hard out dancing and carved out his own space. And I'm like, that's unexpected, right? <laughs> that was an unexpected moment. But I mean, we, we face unexpected moments all the time. We were, we were at this amazing conference and, you know, like I said, a group of guys. And it's a conference that was really focused all around the journey of spiritual formation and discipleship and how to lead our churches in this journey to be well-formed 
disciples of Jesus Christ. So it just really fits and resonates a lot of what God's been taking us on as a journey. It was amazing to go on that experience with a, with a bunch of guys. And, 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 and so we go along to this conference, and it was amazing, and we had a bunch of great teaching and all these things that we thought, man, that's not unexpected. We knew we were going to be in good hands. We knew the teaching was going to be incredible. We knew it was going to be a great experience. With, like We knew those things. But what was unexpected was the times of worship where the Spirit was at work in like profound ways, the times of ministry and the words that intercessors and ministry team had for each one of us um, as pastors and leaders from New Zealand. We were singled out and we were called out to come and receive these things. And it was profound and it was personal and it was truly life-changing. I'm still trying to find the words for it, to be honest. I think it'll be you know, something I need to just sit with and process and digest over some time. But that was unexpected. You know what I mean? In a really good way. I didn't realize how much I needed it. Um, it, was, it God met us in some really important ways. Because life is filled with the unexpected. Those unexpected moments that are just an incredible gift and a blessing and just, you know, just amazing things that happen, right? But then there's also those unexpected moments that lean in the other direction. When plans fall apart. When everything changes. Like that dream job that you got only to find out nine months down the road that actually the company's going to dissolve and you no longer have a job, unexpected. Or the friend or family member who, you, who is so close to you and you do life together in community and it's just so great and you love them and then they come to you and all of a sudden say, actually, I'm moving and not just to North Canterbury, actually, I'm moving overseas. Unexpected. Or the, the doctor who shares that diagnosis that you just did not want to hear and it changes everything, not just for you, but for the extended Fano and everyone you know. Or when that loved one passes away unexpectedly. There's no answer for it, there's no reason for it, there's no unexpected. What do we do when life falls apart? What do we do when it feels like our dreams are shattered? Well, after the past few years, I think every single one of us can relate to those feelings on one level or another, right? This is our moment. This is the context in which we find ourselves. We've all experienced plans coming apart, dreams, if not shattering, showing evidence of cracking, right? And so, what do we do? My encouragement, friends, is we're going to lean into the life of Joseph over the next four weeks and learn some lessons, not just from a biblical character, but we're going to learn some lessons, actually, from the God who formed the story, the life of a person in Scripture. That's the lens we're going to look at Joseph this morning. Yes, he faced all kinds of unexpected situations, and we'll tease those out as we go, but we're going to talk about how those unexpected circumstances were God's way of shaping and forming him to be the person God always intended him to be. That's the journey we're on for the next four weeks. All right? Sound good? So I encourage you 
to open up your Bibles. We're going to Genesis chapter 37, and I'm not going to be putting a lot of Scripture on the screens for you to follow along with, so I really encourage you to open your own Bibles. You can read the story for yourself. It's a fairly long one. Starts in chapter 37, has a little wee kind of weird hiatus. You can skip over 38 if, if, if you want and just carry on in chapter 39 all the way through the end of chapter 50 in Genesis. See, Joseph is this story of God working through some incredibly difficult and painful situations in hopes of blessing many other people. And, and as I've kind of sat with this story and been praying into it, meditating on it for some time, I believe it has something to say to each one of us in the challenges that we face in our own lives today and in the in the days and weeks to come. So across this whole narrative of the story of Joseph, we see God using a person, using a man to move people from a place of famine and death to a life to, to life, and an abundant life at that, right? And it actually foreshadows the way that God works throughout the Scriptures. I mean, if you flip over from Genesis into Exodus, we see God's working exactly the same way. What God does with Joseph is a foreshadow of what God does with the people of God through Moses in the Exodus story, moving them from enslaved in Egypt into the Promised Land. And it foreshadows the work of Jesus Christ, who ultimately comes to move us from a place of enslavement to sin and death to ultimate life and freedom for eternity, right? This is the work of Jesus. And, and, and Joseph's story kind of foreshadows the way in which God works in and through all of that. And, uh, and so this is, this is a story, though, of formation. And I want us to catch that. This is a story of a life being formed increasingly in the image and likeness of Jesus, of someone being changed deeply at the core of who they are, their character being increasingly made like Jesus. So let's walk through the story of Joseph. And the story begins with a guy named Jacob, or Israel, and tells about his 12 sons. Now, this is significant because this is the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel that kind of stem from each of these sons. So big family, and here's the encouraging part for all of it. We read, as we read the story, it's a dysfunctional family, just like yours, just like mine, right? Families are messed up, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Yeah, right? I mean, that's all right. And, and that's good news, and it should be, and it can be encouraging for us, because here's the, here's, the, here's the truth that we can take from this, friends. You might want to jot this down. The family you come from doesn't determine how God can use you. That's good, right? Someone might appreciate that. The family you come from doesn't determine how God can use you. And so Joseph grows into this, is born into this family. He's one of the youngest of the 12, and he was loved, but he was loved and he was treated as if he were the firstborn. So he was given this flash as coat from his dad, right? That's where you've maybe heard, you know, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know, all that, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is it. And, and, and scholars have kind of debated whether or not it was actually brightly colored and all this kind of stuff, or, or what kind of fabric it was made out of, or how it was woven together and all this kind of stuff. Or maybe it was actually more relating to the length of it, both in sleeves and then, you know, this way as well. Because the longer your coat was also a sign of more prestige, more, higher status, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's got, doesn't matter really, I don't think the details around what his coat actually looked like. What's important for us to recognize is that it was a flash one, and that flash coat symbolized that he was given um, kind of greater prestige, greater honor. It was physical evidence that would normally be given to the firstborn son to indicate 
that he doesn't have to do the same manual labor that his brothers might. So there's, you know, uh, so we read in verse uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 37, it says, now Israel loved Joseph, that's referring to Jacob, his dad, loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe, or a flash robe, with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So, here's the thing, right? You see it right there in the Scripture. It must have been a, such a significant coat that it communicated to all of his brothers, actually, Jacob, the dad, loves this kid more than the rest of us, and he's bestowing on him the rights and respect and honor of the firstborn, which was a very hierarchical society. It's kind of different to how we work. You know, the thought of a parent loving a child more than another today, that doesn't play so well, does it, right? Like, we don't actually do that uh, anymore. But, but anyways, that's kind of the way it worked out. But, but basically, rather foolishly by this, Jacob um, is declaring to all of his other sons that Joseph not only was the most honored, but actually bore the responsibility of supervision for all of his other siblings. Now, I don't know about you, but I have three younger brothers. <laughs> and if my dad was to give my youngest brother Mitch some flash as coat, as a symbol of him bearing responsibility over me, as a teenager or a young adult, let me just assure you, <laughs> the response would not have been honoring to the Lord shall we say. I would have been incredibly frustrated, I would have taken it out, I would have been fighting, I would, you know what I mean? I would have been, at, like, like, probably underneath all of that visible behavior would have been actually deep woundedness. Would, would have actually been probably, um, for sure, jealousy, I can assure you, yeah, I would, have been, I would have been jealous, no doubt. There would have been deep wounds, guaranteed. And there was this huge amount, see, there's this huge amount of dysfunction basically playing out in Joseph's family, but God had not yet begun to shape Joseph's character. And so, Joseph, I think, finds himself in this state of being prideful and maybe a mixture of like pride and naivety, you know what I'm saying? Like, that actually shaped his response and informed his words and his actions a little bit more. And if we're not careful, friends, the same can be true for us, can't it? That pride and naivety will inform our words and our actions in place of godly character? I didn't hear an amen to that one. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe, that's, uh, maybe that's for someone, hey, that actually, I know that's true for me, too often, right? Pride or naivety shapes me more than the character of God. And so, when Joseph received some dreams from God, and dreams was a common way that God would reveal Himself and reveal His plan and His desires to people, still to this day, it's not just a biblical thing, it actually shows up today, it's still one of the ways that God reveals Himself to people this, in our age, in our time. This is one of the ways that God works, right? And so, uh, you know, God gave Joseph these dreams that were symbolic about, you know, wheat bowing down to Him, and the sun and the moon and the star, oh, the sun moon and stars bowing down to him, and therefore, uh, and Joseph, I think, because of his pride and because of his naivety and because he hadn't yet been fully formed and well-discipled, um, I think he probably misunderstood what those dreams were about, that he thought, actually, they were all about him, right? That he was going to be raised up and, everyone was, and it was all centered on him and everyone was going to bow down to him. And, and when, in actual fact, God's plan was that it was never about him. It was about what God was wanting to do through him for the sake of others. That was always God's intent. But Joseph didn't get that yet, right? So in his 
prideful naivety, immaturity, let's just call it that, right? He, he, he thought that God was going to give him this high status um, that would elevate him and make him great, where in fact God's plan was to give him high status in order to bring about blessing and provide salvation for many others through that positioning. But Joseph, in his youthfulness, was arrogant, and so he goes and he tells his older brothers, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys, guess what? I just had this dream from God. You imagine how that went, right? Foolish start, <laughs> right? The world, as far as he was concerned, revolved around him. I mean, can you imagine how, how you, you would feel, right? He's given this, he shows up in this flash coat and he starts telling these dreams from God. Um, and so we see in verse 11 that his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. And I love that line. It reminds me of like Mary after the wise men come and, you know, they have that encounter like in the, in the birth of Jesus story, right? And, and all these things that were said and prophesied about her son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it says that Mary treasured those things in her heart. You remember that line? I think this is a similar kind of posturing. It's this humble kind of posturing where the, the father is saying he kept the matter in his mind. And I think the two attitudes that show up in this verse 11, the brothers being jealous of him and the dad keeping the matter in mind or treasuring these things in his heart, they, they, they kind of show those ways that always divide people in our attitude and in our posture to the unexpected things that happen in life, don't they? You get the brothers who, who example, you know, give one example where their, the, their response is full of skepticism and, and it's emotional and it's hasty. And, and when unexpected things happen, right, we often get quite cynical and jaded and we respond emotionally and in haste. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. <laughs> but then we see the dad, right, Jacob, who we see a different response. We see actually his response was an open mind, which is really the product of humility. It's the result of formation that's happened in his life. He, Jacob, had learned by now some things that his sons had not yet learned to allow for God's work, for God's hand in the circumstances that were going on, to allow for God to have his own right of choice for those he would raise up and use and work through. He was comfortable being open to that. So it says that the father, Jacob, kept the matter in mind. But what about Joseph, right? In many ways, Joseph was already kind of ruling over his brothers, but he didn't have the character to go with his position. He just didn't. The dream that Joseph had was right, but his brothers didn't like it. His dad was concerned about it. But the truth is, Joseph could have easily, as we read on down the story, chucked the dream out because of the circumstances that resulted from him sharing this dream. The truth is, the problem wasn't with the dream. The dream wasn't wrong. In fact, God didn't tamper with the dream, but He did temper the dreamer. That's the story we see play out through Joseph's life, right? God doesn't change the dream. The dream was right, right? He, but He works to temper and to shape and to form Joseph, the dreamer, right? And so the result is, he tells, his, he tells his brothers, hey, here's all the things, here's what God said, you're going to bow down to me, you know, all of this. And his brothers respond pretty significantly. They, they plan to kill him. They come up with a plan. Literally, it's, it's, I, didn't, I didn't write it, it's in, the, it's in the Bible, you can read it for yourselves, right? They plan to kill this, their brother Joseph out of jealousy 
Talk about emotional hasty, you know, like anyone, right? That's their response. They plan to kill him. But fortunately, at the last minute, they bail on that plan and they come up with an alternative plan. Essentially, they throw him into a dried up well where there's no water available in it. And then, in, in this, this, just the callousness of it is, is stunning to me, actually. The coldness and callousness of the... It sh- reveals more about the hearts of the brothers, right? That they would sit around and have a meal while their brother is like thrown in this... That's, that's what they do. They sit around, they have a meal, and while they're having the meal with their brother thrown in this dry, dusty well, they see these traitors show up. And they say, I know, killing him doesn't gain us anything, but maybe we could make some coin out of this. And so they decide instead to trade him. And so they do, they, tr- they, they sell him into slavery. And they take his coat, that flash as coat that symbolized so much for Joseph, and they tear it to shreds. They dip it in the blood of an animal to be able to kind of provide evidence to their dad when they get back home to say, we found this. Is this your son's? They kind of play dumb, right? Is this your son's coat? And when the dad confirms it, it kind of seals the deal that, well, Joseph must be dead. And so uh, Jacob, Israel, goes into a a season of mourning and grieving. Um, And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I wonder if many of us, we go through a time just like that where we end up wondering. It feels like our coat has been stripped from us. All those things that, that seem to signify God's blessing and God's approval and God's, God's work in our lives and those things that shape our identity and we kind of value and our sense of worth so much, those things get stripped away from us and we're laid bare and it can feel like a real breaking, traumatic experience. We find ourselves in the bottom of a dry, empty pit <laughs> and we see Actually, it's in those moments. Imagine, imagine how Joseph must have felt, betrayed by his own brothers. Sound familiar? Betrayed by his own brothers, rejected, sold, literally sold out. And yet, Joseph still had these dreams that were given by God. What do you do with that? God hadn't abandoned Joseph. He didn't leave him to be. The dreams, they weren't thrown out on the scrap heap. And in fact, God was incredibly close, present, and active in Joseph's life. I've got to believe it. It's the only way to make sense of the story as we read on. Because God was changing Joseph through these horrendous and horrible circumstances so that he might be more powerfully used by God for God's purposes down the track. God was at work in that moment. Andy Stanley once was teaching on the story of John the Baptist, who was not thrown into a pit, but thrown into prison and was awaiting to be beheaded, essentially. And and he says that your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. I think someone maybe needs to hear that this morning because I think so often we, th- we, 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 we do the opposite, don't we? We think we're in a bad situation and so therefore God must hate me. God can't love me. How is this loving? How, where is God in the midst? Don't we? we? We allow our circumstances to define and characterize who God is rather than allowing God to shape and meet us in the midst of all those things. And this story of Joseph begins one of the great stories where we see everywhere in Scripture that God reveals Himself and He gives to people, like people like you and I, a dream or a vision for our lives, for what He might do through us. But then out of that dream or vision, there comes a season 
of waiting, a season of forming, a season that comes after the, the, the reveal and, and where God takes us on a journey to shape our character and shape and mold us and break some things off of us that aren't going to help us in the future and where we learn humility, where we learn to become humble servants that give God the glory and remain humble. Think about the story of Abraham. Think about Moses and David and Isaiah and, and Jesus. Each and every one of them and many more were shaped and formed in the wilderness seasons of life. There's always, it seems, uh, so often it seems like there's a lag between the anointing of God for a specific task and the appointing to that task. Anyone resonate with that? There seems to be, there seems to be a time gap in between those two things. So often as we read through Scripture where God might anoint you to a particular calling and a dream and a vision, but then the outworking of that and the realization of that it takes a long time for that to be realized. I mean, King David was anointed as king, and over a decade later, 10 years later, before he was actually appointed as king. We see this play out over and over and over again, and it's what's going to happen in Joseph's life, and I think it's, he receives those dreams as a young fella, and then we see God has so much more to happen in his life over the, these chapters in Genesis before he's able to take his place and be entrusted with all that God would have for him. And here's the message, friends. For those of us who find ourselves sometimes in the bottom of a well, in a season that feels like wilderness or waiting and life's falling apart and yet we're, it's unexpected and we're going, where is God in the midst of all of this? Here's the message. Don't despise this time. Don't reject it. Don't push it away. Don't wish it away. Don't, don't withdraw from it, but lean into it. This is the most important time. This is the time where God will do His deepest work. And if we reject it and we push against it, it's likely He'll only keep you there longer. It's an encouraging word, isn't it? <laughs> See, this is one of those times where God does His deepest and best work. And it's not done in front of the crowds. It's not in a season of success normally. It's not. It's not. It's done in the secret place, in the hiddenness, in the desert place, in that place of brokenness and heartache. That's where God comes and meets us and shapes us and forms us and heals us. That's where God works in us and through us. And so the key message for us this morning, I think, is that, you know, God's work in this moment in Joseph's life is just the beginning. And we see a lot more to come over the next few weeks within this young man where God is mining something deep inside of Joseph, bringing out his character through trials, through temptations, through adversity, through all of this plays out in Joseph's life over a number of years. And we'll journey with that story over the next few weeks. But for today, for today, let me land things here. If you flip over to Genesis chapter 39. Like I said, Joseph's been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And then we pick up in chapter 39, verse 1. It says, and, and they, they take him down to Egypt. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2, if you underline anything in your Bibles, this is worth underlining. The Lord was with Joseph. 
the Lord was with Joseph. Betrayed, rejected, sold into slavery, moved across the world to a whole other country, placed in a whole new environment, context. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master, get this, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, how do you see that God is with someone? But you can tell, right? You can tell, you know it. When, the, when, when, when Potiphar, this Egyptian who did not know of God, saw that God was with Joseph, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household and, and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From this time, uh, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Man, it's like the ripple effect happening, right? Because of Joseph, God blessed the house of the Egyptian. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Must be nice. (laughs) Right? Think about that for a minute. That's crazy, right? This whole series of like unexpected, we all experience the unexpecteds in life, right? And as we go on this journey with Joseph, we're looking at and we're learning from the formation of a person, the formational journey that God takes Joseph. And it'd be easy, it'd be easy for me to kind of tap out of the message here with this encouraging word from the beginning of chapter 39 and say, isn't it good? Look, God shows up, isn't that good news? And look at the hope and blessing comes and favor comes on the Egyptian household and how good is this and, 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 and all of that stuff, but, 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 but I can't because that's not faithful to the text. Think with me for a minute. This is not what God revealed in Joseph's dream back in chapter 37. The blessing that's come to Potiphar's house, that's not, that's not reflective of what God had spoken and what God had said back in 37, right? That's not what God was revealing in Joseph's dreams. In fact, it's a long way from it. Joseph's blessed and Potiphar prospers and, and, and yet this is another step in Joseph's formation where he's learning to serve another person, to serve others. He's learning that that's the road of humility, learning to serve another. That's where we'll pick up next week. So there's a little foreshadowing for you. That's next week. What I believe God would have for us today is to focus on the truth that despite our circumstances, despite his circumstances, God remained with Joseph. God was with him. That's the blessing, the presence of God in our lives. That's the gift. We need nothing more. He is the gift. God was with Joseph and he is with you. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what the pit is that you find yourself in, if you're feeling heartbroken and you're feeling despair and you're feeling like life is in a pit, your plans have fallen apart and it's unexpected, God is with you. He sees all, He knows all, He is with you. Do you know that? Are you aware of His presence? Are you cooperating 
with his presence? Or are you emotional, hasty, resisting, withdrawing, blaming? See, I think this is what God would have to say to each one of us, that our circumstances do not characterize the presence of God. They are simply the context in which we experience the presence of God. So let's not waste it. Our circumstances are the, the place where God wants to meet every one of us. So this, that's the implication. If, if, if whatever it is that we're facing in life, whether it be good, unexpected, or bad, unexpected, that this is where God wants to meet you, to be with you, to work in and through you. That's what God wants to do. That's the context of formation, right? We can't just hold out and wait for some better turn of events because that's not where God does His deepest and best work. Instead, let's be those who are open and humbly open, like Jacob, and say, okay, God, what is up here? What are you doing? And let's, let's cooperate with His desire to form and shape you. Look, I don't know the exact specifics of your situation or the specific things that God might want to do in your life in those moments, but I can guarantee you, I know one thing is for sure, that what He wants to do in your situation is make you more like Him. So it's going to be something on that trajectory. That's what I feel really assured of, that whatever you're facing, that's what God wants to do. So maybe uh, the invitation to each one of us is to, let's be open and humble and, and receptive to whatever it is that God might say. Let's partner with Him and allow Him to do that shaping work. Let's cooperate, not resist. Let's embrace, not withdraw. Let's be those who look for and dig for the work and presence of God in our lives, no matter what we're facing, even when it feels hard, even when it feels difficult, even in the unexpected, when plans fall apart. And like Joseph, maybe this morning you feel betrayed and enslaved and overlooked and abandoned, but remember, your circumstances and even those feelings don't characterize the presence of God they're simply the context in which you can experience the presence of God. So don't resist, don't delay, embrace the moment for what it is. And I don't want to give just a charge and a, you know, a challenge like that without something to do, because I think we actually need to embody truth and live into it in order for us to realize the ways in which God's doing that. And so I'd encourage you to do two things. Over the next four weeks, let's be people who read the story of Joseph in our Bibles regularly chapter 37 through 50. You can skip over 38, it's a weird... <laughs> There's ways in which it's connected, but it's somewhat unhelpful. So, 37, 39 through 50, Genesis, over the next four weeks, spend some time there. And read it through the lens of formation. Read it through the lens, not just of what we can learn from Joseph, but let's read it specifically through the ways in which God is at work. What are the lessons we can learn from God as, he, as we see Him shape and form the life of Joseph? Does that make sense? Here's the second thing I'd invite you to, in terms of a practice to embody this. If we want to be people who truly are open to and receptive to the work of God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, I want to invite you to a daily prayer practice for the next seven days. Do this, all right? It's not going to be, don't worry. I know we talk about pray, bless, notice, rest, are some of our rhythms of life around here, pray, bless, notice, rest. 
pray every day. I'm hoping that a number of us do this regularly, right? But that we would pray every day and, and, and morning and night. Here's the invitation over these next seven days to be responsive to this message this morning. Is in the morning and in the evening. Take five to ten minutes. This is all it'll be. So in the morning before you start your day and in the evening before you go to sleep at night. Take five or ten minutes and pray these prayers. In the morning, pray a prayer of just coming to God, approaching God, acknowledging this day is a gift given from you. Acknowledge the pain or the hurt or the despair, whatever the circumstance is, acknowledge that. Name that in the presence of God. Acknowledge that thing, whether it's painful, whether it's hurt, whatever the unexpected thing is, acknowledge that. And then offer prayers of surrender and trust. Say, God, I surrender to the shaping and forming work that you are involved in in my life this day. I trust that you are, even if I can't see it, I trust that you are working. And then ask God to make you more attuned, make you more aware. As, the, as this day goes forward, Lord, will you make me more aware of your presence with me? Make me more aware of the things that you are doing inside of me. Make me more aware of the circumstances that are shaping me and forming me so that I might cooperate and not resist the work of grace in my life. And then sit in silence for at least two minutes and see what God might say. You can do that in, like I said, five to ten minutes. Start your day that way. And then at the end of the day, again, five to ten minutes, real similar kind of flow, but one, one slight tweak. Approach God. God, I recognize you've been with me today. You may need to practice some confession. You know, if you go, uh, there's some ways that I was not honorable to you today, Lord. I confess those to you. Forgive me. Receive the forgiveness. And then surrender again. Lord, as I go to sleep tonight, I surrender to your work inside of me. Like I often pray as I'm going to bed, Lord, minister to me as I sleep. Do things, you know, bring your grace alive inside of me while I'm not even conscious. I know you can do it. Sort me out while I'm asleep, you know, bypass my mind, might be needed, right? And then uh, practice reflective awareness. As you think back on the day, on different moments or conversations or, or experiences throughout the day. Just reflect back on those and ask God to make you aware of how He was at work in those things, in those conversations, in those moments, in those situations. How was God working through you, bringing grace, meeting you in those things? And then, again, close with a few minutes of silence. See what God might say. Five, ten minutes. That's all it takes at the end of the day. So if, you, if you're one of those who this morning feels like, actually, yeah, I want to actually be one who embraces this situation, even though life feels a bit unexpected, embraces the circumstance I'm in as the formational context in which God is with me and working in and through me, then for the next seven days, Read the story of Joseph and let's pray morning and night, just those five, ten minutes, and see how God works in and through that. Because life is filled with the unexpected, isn't it? Our plans often 
fall apart. And this doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or left you. In fact, as we've seen this morning, it's often the opposite, that He's with us. He's nearer than we think. He's seeking to mold you and shape you and make you more holy and make you more like Christ. So I'd like to invite the team to come and uh, they're going to lead us in a time of worship as we close. But I wanted to, as we close this morning, I think it's important to respond. Anytime the work of God is going on inside someone's life, and I just have a, have a sense this morning that actually there's, there's probably some things that God's saying and doing inside of some people's hearts and lives this morning. And so I want to give an opportunity for um, a, a time of response and prayer. And so I'm going to pray a simple prayer in a moment, just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and... Uh, and welcome, and we just, we just attend to his, his, his presence with us this morning. So, uh, and, and there's, a few, there's a few things that God kind of burdened me with this morning, three, three kinds of people, I think, in particular, that God wants to meet in a unique way, and I'll, I'll share those in a few moments. But well, as we come to this time, why don't you stand with me? Let's stand together. And if you're comfortable adopting a posture of like hands out, out, out in front like this, let's just, let's just take a moment to welcome the Spirit to come and do what He would do in His way, in His timing. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, come.